According to the band Three Dog Night, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> he was a good friend of mine. I don't know if Three Dog Night is talking about the prophet Jeremiah in Hebrew scripture that we just heard read, although thinking about that prophet Jeremiah as a bullfrog is actually not a bad way to imagine the writer who is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is generally the glummest of the Hebrew writers who prophesied 3,000 years ago. There's not a lot of good news in this guy. He's not a cheery figure. But in the center of his book, a few chapters, short chapters, smack dab in the middle of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet offers something a little bit different. That's where our reading came from this morning. There is still weeping in what is sometimes called the Book of Consolations in the middle of, in the middle of Jeremiah. There's actually still quite a bit of weeping. God says to the prophet, I am going to bring them back. He's talking about the people of Israel, right? I'm going to bring them back from the lands of the north. I am going to gather them from the furthest parts of the earth with weeping. There it is, right? With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. The people are in exile, right? That's the, that's the context for this, for this promise. The, the best and brightest of the children of Israel, the, the most popular kids in the youth group, right? The, the star kids have been shipped off to Babylon, and only a remnant remains. That may resonate with us who are sitting in this cathedral when two years ago this place had 600 people, and we've got about 120. We're a faithful remnant. Uh, so we understand remnant, right? But the ones left over in Jeremiah's context, unlike this context, you are all very beautiful and highly capable folks. Jeremiah is not talking about beautiful and highly cap capable folks. He's referring to the remnant as the blind, the lame, those with child, and those in labor. This is not the warriors, right? This is not the scholars and religious leaders. It's women and children. And in Jeremiah's society, right, that's a, that's, a different, that's a different assembly. It's the people with disabilities that make it challenging for them to travel, right? People who are going to have a hard time uh, walking along the path. And this great army, this, the, the Hebrew word is kahal, right? A great company. It's the same word that the, the scriptural tradition uses to describe the company of men, mostly, who are gathered in the temple to worship. But Jeremiah is using this word very differently. Instead of the group of the capable who gather in the temple, Jeremiah is saying, actually, the great company that God is calling is made up of the very ones who would normally be excluded from leadership because of their infirmities, their social status, and not insignificant, insignificantly because of their gender. Right? Jeremiah is reestablishing the community of Israel. And it's the, it's the shadow assembly. It's the forgotten ones, the ones who never quite belonged. Those are the ones, the prophet insists, those are the ones who will lead this great company back home. You see, Christianity, and by extension, our, our parent religion, Judaism, these great religious traditions have never really been about finding the best and brightest and like bringing them all together and inspiring them to do great things, right? Churches are not for the successful. If you're in this room and you consider yourself successful, like, this isn't really for you. Like, we're not really here for you. In the ancient world, the churches thought of themselves as hospitals of the soul, a place for the damaged and the traumatized, a place for the walking wounded, the ones who had nowhere else to turn. I mean, that sounds beautiful, right? Turns out that it, that cast of characters makes for some really wonky group dynamics. A whole room full of socially awkward and highly anxious people uh, is actually a very difficult community to police, as I have learned much to uh, my chagrin. This is not a corporate boardroom, right? This is not a fancy Hollywood party where everybody knows how to paper over tensions with small talk and niceties. 
In Mark's gospel, Bartimaeus, this blind man, really represents for Mark the normative Christian, the normative follower of Jesus, the one standing by the road crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd, right, the, the capable ones, try to shut him up, but he will not be silenced. There is this tenacity to trauma. There's a resiliency that comes with being marginalized. This is a guy with literally nothing left to lose. Son of David, have mercy on me. He will not shut up. Bartimaeus can't see with his eyes, but in a riff on this classical trope of the all-seeing prophet who is blind, Mark gives us a vulnerable, marginalized member of society who is actually the only one in the crowd who really can see, who can really understand who Jesus is. Like Jeremiah, Bartimaeus in Mark is a prophet. There's a reason his name is remembered. He's the only blind man in all of the, I think, in all the miracles of Jesus that is actually named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. This guy was a big deal in one of these earliest communities. He becomes a leader, he becomes a prophet. And the question that Jesus asks him is like the question that Jesus asks of just about everybody, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question he just asked of James and John, his most stalwart, capable followers, just a few verses before. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus had asked James and John. And like the type A personalities they are, they answer, we want you to make sure that we are seated at your right hand when you come into your kingdom. They want power and they want authority, not Bartimaeus. And I think the reason that Mark is putting these two stories together is that he really wants us to see who the real disciple is. He's pitting the blind prophet against the powerful warriors. And you don't need me to tell you where, where Mark thinks the markers of true discipleship Bartimaeus says, my teacher, let me see again. That's all he asks. And Jesus simply releases him, go. Your faith has made you well. As far as Jesus was concerned, I think there's nothing wrong with Bartimaeus. Jesus can hear that prophetic voice calling out from behind the beggar's weeds. In some ways, I think Mark is deliberately subverting the very conventions about disability and blindness that his culture trafficked in and that ours does as well. In one way, Bartimaeus is not the one who needs to be healed here. It's the crowd, right? It's the other disciples. It's the community in which Bartimaeus finds himself. The community is trying to shut him up, right? That's where the healing needs to happen. Mark goes out of his way to establish Bartimaeus as the one who gets it, the only one who gets it, the true disciple of Jesus, over and against the bumbling twelve. And so by restoring his sight, Bartimaeus' physical healing becomes then a, almost a kind of natural consequence of the leadership role that Jesus is giving to this, to this prophet. Healing is not about magicking away somebody's challenges, fixing suffering, and making everybody exactly the same. In the New Testament, anyway, healing is almost always about turning the tables, doing something unexpected, upsetting the power balance and revising the seating chart. The lame shall walk, the blind shall see, the weak shall grow strong. The consequence of that is that the, one whom, the ones whom the world sees as capable, sighted, and strong have to step back for a second and give place to the true leaders in their midst. The healing that happens in this story is that Bartimaeus finds his rightful place at the, at, the, at the head of this band of followers, his rightful place as a leader in the movement. That's how Mark ends this story. Bartimaeus regains his sight, and he follows Jesus along the way. And there's a reason why Mark knows his name. So early on in this pandemic, 
Trinity started streaming our services, this 10 o'clock service that we're doing this morning. We started streaming them to Facebook and to YouTube. And that was, a, you know, that was a way of figuring out how to do church in a way where nobody could be in the room, right? But what we discovered along the way, <laughs> along the way, is that all kinds of people from all over the world were joining us in this virtual cathedral we were building week after week. They were greeting one another, they were chiming in on the chat, they were joining their concerns and their prayers with the whole gathered company out there. And actually many of the people who found their way into the virtual community are the very people that Jeremiah is talking about leading this returning band. The people who might never actually be able to join us physically in church but have long felt a part of what we're doing and are now really able to become the members, the leaders, you might say, of this community. Online church is a lot more than a temporary measure that we set up when we were shut down. I think it's a way into Trinity's future for us. And over the last couple of weeks, as all of this stuff has been hitting the news about Facebook and the YouTube, the dangers of social media, we've come under some fire for that decision. There have been some concerns that have been raised by the platforms that we're utilizing in order to make this ministry happen, and a, a, an encouragement, maybe even a, a demand from some of our members for Trinity to take a very public stance against the corruption and the malfeasance of companies like Facebook, companies that have been hitting the, hitting the news in the last couple of weeks. Facebook is the latest one. And the stuff that we're seeing, the concerns that our parishioners are raising, give me significant pause. Somebody wrote to me a couple weeks ago, the most recent revelations around Facebook's research, the algorithms used, the unchecked spread of conspiracy theories and hate speech and racist groups, and the negative effect this has on vulnerable people, teenagers in particular, makes me wonder why a church with the values Trinity espouses would continue to use it as a platform. That's a fair point, and that's a concern that I take really seriously. Social media has been a big success story for this community. It's transformed our congregation. It's allowed us to become the community of uncommon warmth and holy compassion that we have longed to be. Most of our prayer requests are coming to us this way, right? A lot of our most active social groups and classes are happening in a hybrid format now. Facebook was able to be people's lifelines when they were shut in. And our virtual congregation now is larger than any in-person gathering we might hold in this cathedral. I think this is our future. I could be wrong, but I think this is the future. It seems to me that the church of the 21st century is gonna be some version of a hybrid church using, some, using means of technology that are available to us to make the way straight. This is about equal access, right? This is about making the way straight for all kinds of people who have not been able to be a part of things in the way that they can now. This is the great company that Jeremiah is envisioning. I think this is what the road to glory looks like. But at what price? What do we lose along the way? How much, how much moral compromise is appropriate when it comes to, to building this thing, to building a community like this? These are the questions that Trinity's Vestry will be wrestling with in the weeks to come. I think they're the right questions for us to be asking. Because we're on, we're on the way, right? This is not just kind of random experiments that we're running in the desert as we kind of fall and sometimes it feels that way let's be honest but you know like the promise of these of these texts is that there is a path here there is a way here that's how the bible talks about the life of faith it's not just a way for individuals it's a way for communities to walk together in the path of god the blind man stands by the road and cries right he stands by the road and that's really significant that's where mark puts him right there was a man standing by the road the greek word there is the way 
There's a man standing by the way, and it's the way to Jerusalem, it's the road to the cross, it's the road to glory. That's how Jesus talks about it. It's the way. And it's more than just a path through the wilderness. The psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's where we've been these past couple years. I don't know what's around the next bend. I hope we're coming out of the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know that. I don't know what new variants or restrictions are going to be placed on us. I hope that we're headed out of the worst of the nightmare. And I think that Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and everything they represent, in spite of or because, I mean, you know, in, we know a lot about their dangers. We know a lot about the, the pitfalls there. I think these can also be tools that if used carefully and thoughtfully, can lead this community forward in a way that includes all kinds of people who will never be able to set foot inside the four walls of this cathedral. Innocent as doves and cunning as serpents, right? That's how Jesus talks about engaging a corrupt and corrupting world. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and render to God that which is God's. In other words, as I read him, like, don't, you're going to get your hands dirty if you're going to follow me. Like, there's no purity culture here. So get your hands dirty. And remember, do not forget the one to whom your ultimate allegiance belongs. And so we continue on this way. We follow the one to whom we ultimately belong. It is not an easy road. It's a weird road, and it raises a lot of difficult conversations about power and equity and access and privilege, who gets access to what. Jeremiah says it's the most marginalized one. It's the blind and the lame and the women and the children, the ones who are rendered invisible by a society that is still organized around competence and ability. Jeremiah enshrines those ones as the leader of the great company, not after they're healed, before. There's nothing wrong, Jeremiah says, with these ones, although I suspect that many of them, which is to say many of us, long to be healed, right? If Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, here's the list, buddy, like a lot. We long to be healed in the way that Bartimaeus is healed miraculously. And sometimes that happens, praise God. I have seen miraculous healings. More often, in my experience, the community of God looks a little bit more like this community that Jeremiah is imagining, this island of misfit toys that is the church at our most authentic. Because even the most successful and highly functioning and best-looking ones of us, even we hide a secret deep down. Each one of us is vulnerable, painfully vulnerable, at some level. We're all going to die. Our bodies are going to fail every one of us. We all know a little bit of Bartimaeus' story. Some of us know a lot more of this story. But each of us knows a bit, deep down, what it feels like to stand by the side of the road crying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Look on me with love, not with contempt. Understand the parts of me that I am willing to share with the community and the parts that I am never going to let anybody else see. Understand that I am am more than what I can and cannot do. I'm more than my limitations. I'm more than my successes. See me as your follower. See me as one who is trying her hardest. And then extend your hand of mercy and heal me. My teacher, let me see again. That could be said of so many of us. Let me see again. I know a little bit about this story. I think you do too. And we don't have the answers to every question it raises for us. Nevertheless, we keep on. We follow the master along the, 
along the way, along the road, along the path, that straight path that leads straight into glory.